And now a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, beginning verse 2 through 9, story of the transfiguration, as Mark tells it. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them, and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the human one had risen from the dead. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Thanks be to God. Amen. If we try to interpret this transfiguration story in any other way than symbolic and metaphorical, we have, I believe, missed the intent of the storyteller we call Mark. The symbols and meanings might not be so obvious to those of us reading the story some 2,000 years after it was written, but to the people listening to the story for the first time, the imagery was as rich and packed with meaning as it was mysterious. The dazzling white clothes of Jesus would remind the faithful Jews of the Shekinah glory of God. It was on purpose. And the pillar of fire that led ancient Israel through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Elijah, representing the prophets, and Moses, representing the law, also had life-changing episodes on the mountaintop of Sinai in their own days. The high mountain was frequently thought of as the place nearest to God. And the cloud? Well, it symbolized for the Hebrew people the presence of God. Now, Peter, overwhelmed by everything, suggested that they remain on the mountain and build three dwellings. Did you catch that? One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know, he wanted to bask and enjoy the radiance of the bright light. After all, God is present in the light, right? But let's carefully read this very purposefully crafted story with the focus it deserves. Not only was God with them in the bright lights, but did you catch it? Also, when a cloud appeared and blocked the luminaries, God was with them, and a voice spoke out of the cloud in our story in the shadows, saying, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Do those words sound familiar to you? They might, because they're exactly the same words that God spoke to Jesus at his baptism 
earlier as told by Mark in Mark's Gospel. A sign of God's blessing and approval is what was going on then and here. And then when Peter, James, and John looked around after the cloud passed by, did you catch it? They saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Great ideas, revelations of many sorts, and stories of great inspiration are often accompanied by light, both in the scriptures and in other bodies of literature. The words and spirit of the Creator, remember? Hovering over the dark waters, as the ancients recorded it in Genesis, gave spark to the first lights, the sun to give light by the day, and the stars and the moons to illumine the night. And when God spoke to Moses, the fire of the burning bush burned brightly with unquenchable fire, providing the light for the holy ground on which Moses stood as he received his calling from God to go lead God's people and free them. When Saul encounters the holy on the road to Damascus, and he is confronted with the truth that his participation in capturing and killing followers of Jesus was evil and immoral, well, it's the blinding light, after all, that brings him to his knees in repentance, and then the scales fall from his eyes, as the story tells it. Now, we have no problem associating light as good and right and truthful and godly, and light is generally positive. Though sometimes, like Peter, James, and John, we too can be caught off guard, and our muscles might even tremble when the light we encounter shines brighter than what our senses can seem to take it all in at at once. But the careful student of life knows that not all light is life-giving and positive. Sometimes the light at the end of the proverbial tunnel is a freight train that is headed our way and not the end of the tunnel, as scientists have been warning us. Brighter, warmer seasons and yearly average temperatures, well, they're not good signs when it comes to the weather but rather proof that climate change is even more of a threat than viruses like COVID-19 when it comes to threatening the very existence of humanity. Sometimes in our own lives, it's just as true. Having a source of light when one is in a very dark place can seem like a really huge help. But staring directly into the blinding light of an arc welder or a laser, for example, can leave a person blind or with their sight damaged irreparably. It's what we do with light, isn't it, that determines whether it has a positive or negative effect? Well, can the same be said of darkness or shadows? Now, before I discuss what we do with darkness and shadows as we encounter them in our lives, I want to take a time out. I hope you're listening. I want to be very clear in saying up front that I am not lumping in clinical depression with the rest of what I'm going to say about how we handle dark seasons in our lives. Clinical depression can be darker than dark. And if you're listening today and you either already know you've been struggling with depression or 
Maybe you've been wondering if you are. I want you to know God didn't send those dark feelings your way in order to teach you some kind of lesson. The chemicals in our bodies are very real and complex, and while I am a huge proponent of prayer as well as leaning into the dark seasons of our lives to try to grow and and gain perspective, if you are experiencing deep sadness, deep clinical depression, the only lesson I want you to learn today is that it's not your fault and that this community will stand with you, as will I to offer the support and get you connected with the resources that can help you. In fact, message me privately or send me an email if you or someone you love could use some help, and I'll do everything in my power to get you connected with resources and to help you as best as I can. If you're depressed or wondering if you are, God has not abandoned you, and neither have we. I mean that. And there are some darknesses too dangerous to go them alone. And depression? is one of them. But as for most other types of darkness that we can experience in our lives, what are we to make of them? If not for the night, would we know what daytime was? If not for clouds and rain, we couldn't enjoy the harvest of good crops or the abundance of life that we celebrate as God's creation, or appreciate the sun even for that matter when it does choose to shine. Too much darkness can leave us feeling gloomy, but not enough darkness? Everything can shrivel up and die from heat and light overexposure. Clouds that bring a beneficial amount of rain are welcomed friends, but but clouds that bring tornadoes or torrential floods or damaging hail, well, they are at times unavoidable, but are not offering a positive or life-giving kind of experience under their shadows. Just like light. Not all darkness is the same. As a general rule, because we've been conditioned as such, we don't spend time looking around once the shadows come. In fact, when things begin to get shadowy and dark and dreary in our lives, we tend to speed up and look down and we just try to get out of there as fast as we can. But what if Jesus and the disciples had darted off the mountaintop? in our story today, just as soon as they saw there were clouds gathering. It's what we do so often, not just in our own lives, but also in the communities we are part of as well. If Jesus and the disciples had raced off the mountaintop when the shadows came, they would have missed God's pronouncement of Jesus' identity. Remember? This is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Those words were spoken in the clouds and in the shadows. Now, if you get nothing else from today, please hear me right now. Before we go running from the shadows next time they roll into our lives, let's try to remember to pause for just a moment, and let's look and listen before we run off to see if the clouds and the shadows might reveal something very important to us about ourselves, about our situation, about our communities, whether we're talking about the church or the nation or our families, what if there is an important truth that will only be discovered if we learn to linger in the shadows when they first appear long enough to see it, to hear it, to perceive it, to touch it, to live it, maybe even to embrace the shadows for a season. 
The poet Wendell Berry wrote, To know the dark, go dark, go without sight, and find that the dark too blooms and sings. Hmm. What if the light and shadows are not two opposite forces working against one another, but rather different expressions of the same mother nature of the seasons of our lives, so to speak? What if light and darkness as they appear through the clouds are all part of the same sky? I think we're onto something. Two members of the same team. Could we adjust our attitudes then towards shifting shadows and clouds and moments of darkness? What if truth is just as true? What if love is just as lovely? What if justice is just as just and peace is just as peaceful in the shadows as it is in the most blindingly bright lights? If we could only recondition ourselves not to flee the very first time the clouds appear together and the shadows begin to draw near, I wonder what we would see and hear and experience that just might change our entire perspective on our situation. Reverend Dr. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote one of her best-selling books on this very topic in 2014. I highly recommend Learning to Walk in the Dark by Barbara Brown Taylor if you haven't read it. In Learning to Walk in the Dark, Taylor asks us to put aside our fears and anxieties and to explore all that God has to teach us while we're in the dark. She argues that we need to move away from our, quote, solar spirituality and ease our way into appreciating lunar spirituality, since, like the moon, our experience of the light waxes and wanes. Through darkness, Dr. Taylor, or BBT, Barbara Brown Taylor, BBT as I affectionately call her among colleagues, she says we find courage, that we understand the world in new ways, and we feel God's presence around us, guiding us through things seen and unseen. Her major point is that often, it is while we are in the dark that we actually grow the most. Now, while we all share some of the struggles we face in the shadows because we are members of the same communities, there are many, many struggles that are uniquely challenging to each of our own lives. And this is where I want to leave plenty of room for grace and encourage you to do the same when we have these conversations with one another about growing while we're in the shadowy, dark places of our lives. Sometimes just surviving these stretches is a major victory. We can never know just what someone else is experiencing, though, what trauma they may have already been exposed to that triggers different emotions and reactions even when they encounter similar circumstances when they're in the shadows. And things begin to gather, the clouds begin to gather, and things begin to grow dim. Barbara Brown Taylor speaks to the uniqueness of our experiences in the book I've been referencing. Listen to this quote. She wrote, The more I talk to other people about their experience of the dark, the more they remind me how personal it is. Someone with dark skin, for example, tells me what it is like to live among people who do not think twice about using dark as shorthand for something sinister sinful, tragic, or foul. 
Someone from northern Canada tells me how precious darkness is in midsummer when the sun does not go down until midnight and is back in the sky by 5 a.m. Most arrestingly of all, Taylor continues, someone holding the harness of a seeing-eye dog asks me if I know what darkness means to someone who is blind. Powerful words, aren't they, from Barbara Brown Taylor. That is to say, we do not all share the same experiences in light or in dark. But my prayer for us all is that we would learn to recognize that when the shadows come and when the light seems to grow strangely dim, there is a deep abiding truth that does not change like shifting shadows. In fact, sometimes it's only when the clouds gather and the shadows come, and instead of fleeing, we linger for just a moment, that we are actually ever able to hear the voice of truth say to us, you are my beloved child, whom I dearly love. Everyone, listen to them. We have some things to teach each other. That's what I think that was about for Jesus. Not only was God, God's voice in our story indicating his chosenness and belovedness, but also a reminder that he had some things to teach others. We can celebrate our chosenness as well as be reminded that we have some things to teach the world as well through our own experiences. And we may have well learned many of these things while we were in the dark shadows. It is high time we quit viewing every dark stretch in our lives as a failure or something to be feared, dear ones. For the blessing and the approval of all that is good and holy remain with us both in the sunshine and in the shadows. Our identity, our belovedness, our place in this one world family and in this world as leaders who are working to build the beloved community, those things, they never change. Even and most especially when the shadows come. For when the shadows come, we should be listening. Amen.